Messianic Radio for a spiritually hungry world. Speak to the Rock. Get answers for your life. Find out what's missing in your Bible and why. Solace Radio. Changing lives one heart at a time. Let's um, throw up those first screens. They're going to be three consecutive screens. I'm going to read a section of Scripture from the Gospel of John, starting in verse 53 in chapter 7, going into verse 11 in chapter 8. Then they all left, each one to his own home. But Yeshua went to the Mount of Olives. At daybreak, he appeared again in the temple court, where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The Torah teachers and the Parashim brought in a woman who had been caught committing adultery and made her stand in the center of the group. Then they said to him, quote, Rabbi, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in our Torah, Moshe commanded that such a woman be stoned to death. What do you say about it? They said this to trap him so that they might have ground for bringing charges against him. But Yeshua bent down and began writing in the dust with his finger. When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, quote, The one of you who is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he bent down and wrote in the dust again. On hearing this, they began to leave one by one, the older ones first, until he was left alone with the woman still there. Standing up, Yeshua said to her, quote, Where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, quote, No one, sir. Yeshua said, quote, Neither do I condemn you. Now go and don't sin anymore. This is quintessentially the story about grace and truth. And if you're here for the first time, you're here for the 101st time, I don't know if you know our logo. Um, the Lord gave this to me um, pretty much the week that we got here. I didn't even know we needed a logo. You know, we didn't have any stationery or anything. We didn't have an office. Um, but he gave me this logo, Grace and Truth, which is tatamount. It's, it's crucial that you figure out how to walk in the fullness, not 50-50. You know, we think, well, 50-50, 100% grace and 100% truth. Um, I liken it to bowling. I, I can't stand bowling. I don't bowl. Uh, Bernadette dated a professional bowler before me, so I really can't stand bowling. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, it's entertaining. You bring kids. It's, you know, you don't have to be an athlete to be a bowler. Let's face it. And um, you've got these two gutters. And obviously the point is to send the ball down the middle for a strike pretty much, right? And I liken those two gutters to total grace and total truth. If you walk in all grace and no truth, it's a gutter ball. Because it will lead every day of the week to deception. 
you'll be deceived. People take advantage. It's human nature. And every nature in here is human. We take advantage of people. Uh, we do it sometimes insidiously. We don't even realize. Sometimes we pay a compliment just to get something. People do it in their marriages. They'll pay a compliment to a spouse just to get something. It's a pretty sad state of affairs that you have such an intimate relationship and you can't even be honest with your spouse. The other gutter ball is total truth and no grace. I find that very prevalent among people in the Messianic community. Because if you walk in truth and no grace, every day of the week it will lead to destruction. Because if you're supposed to be held to being totally holy, which we are, how do you get up from the ground? Because you're going to fall every time. The Bible says that Yeshua was full of grace and truth. And if we follow Him, we'll go right down the center of the alley and we'll get a strike every time. It's not easy and people get out of balance real easy. I've even seen pastors give a message. It's not a hard message. It's a message from the Bible. And then the next week they go, oh, last week it was kind of hard. I'm sorry. You're apologizing for the Word of God? You're apologizing for the Ruach convicting somebody and maybe them changing? Why would you apologize for that? That's the whole point. That's the whole point. All right, let's break it down a bit. And let's really kind of look at this thing slowly. Don't don't rush through it. You know, you don't want to get through the Bible. You want the Bible to get through you. So first couple of verses, two verses, says, Then they all left. Who are they? This was the Feast of Tabernacles. How do I know that? Because if you read the verses before, you'll see they were celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. And it was the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, the seventh day, Sukkot, the Hosanna Rabbah, the great outpouring. And it's one of the three pilgrim feasts, according to Deuteronomy 16.16. Three times a year, all the Jewish men, wherever they lived, had to appear before God in Jerusalem. So it was overrun with pilgrims. Why do you think if Yeshua was born around Tabernacles, why would you think there's no room at the inn? Because all the guest houses were taken. Because all the Jews from around the world, males, had to appear before God on three feasts. Passover, Shavuot, and Sukkot. So the feast is done. And they want to go home. They've been there for a week. It's been long. It's been probably a good time to an extent. But it's arduous. You want to get back to your house. Everybody after a vacation likes to get home, right? As soon as you go through all the travel and everything, you get home, you're like, except for the morning after when you got to do a laundry. But besides that, for that moment, it's special. It says, but Yeshua, he didn't go home. First of all, he had no home. Birds have nests. Foxes have holes. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. It's not that he was homeless. He was on a mission. He didn't have time to decorate his house. He didn't have time to watch HGTV and go, this needs a throw pillow. I gotta find something for this corner. It's just so empty. He was on a mission. So, some during this time met the Savior and trusted in Him. 
No question. People became believers. And it was an exclusive Jewish club at this point. Just know, there's no Gentiles who are steeped in paganism going to Jerusalem for Sukkot. Not a one. But the majority of the people did not trust him as Messiah. The leaders, sadly enough, considered Yeshua to be a threat to their religion and their way of life. They had it going on. Kind of like the politicians today. They had a good life. Really, really good life. And they don't want nobody to mess with it. So they tell you what you want to hear. They were now more determined than ever to get rid of them. Next verse. At daybreak, he, that's Yeshua, appeared again in the temple where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The temple had a big courtyard, Solomon's colonnades. That's where the rabbis had their students and they taught. He was the only rabbi. There was thousands of rabbis, just like today. So the scripture tells us it's the next day and that's the eighth day celebration. Right? Right. And the eighth day celebration means a new beginning. People say, is it part of Sukkot? When you look at Leviticus 23, is it not part of Sukkot? It's its own thing. It doesn't say. It just doesn't say. So we have to take it for what it is. It seems like a holiday onto itself, and it's somewhat of a new beginning. That's why it's on the eighth day. You want to talk about new beginnings. Yeshua comes off the Mount of Olives and heads west across the Kidron Valley and comes into the temple. This is a rehearsal for his second coming. Now, there's a lot of people that get caught up with the third temple. So many. They're like waiting for the third temple to be built. That's when Jesus comes back. No, not at all. And they go, well, that, you know, the King Solomon, who uh, was from the Ottoman Empire, he sealed the wall. And Jesus is going to bust through that gate. First of all, the gate that Yeshua walked through is underground. It wasn't that gate. <laughs> That's a totally new gate. So it has nothing to do with that whatsoever. But Yeshua did walk through the eastern gate, also known as the golden gate, also known as the beautiful gate, according to Acts 3.2. Also known in Judaism as the gates of mercy. Now the people had just celebrated Teruah and Kippur and Sukkot. They had just heard the shofar of God to return and repent. They did in fact repent and Kippur, they were atoned for and forgiven. And now they would start their new beginning, if you will. It was time at this point in the feast to walk in the light of Yeshua's love and power. And walking in the light of Yeshua simply means to walk in the fullness of grace and truth. Nothing more, nothing less. That's what we're called to do. More on that later. Look at the next verse. Verse 3 of chapter 8 of John. It says, The Torah teaches in the Perishim brought in a woman who had been caught committing adultery and made her stand in the center of the group. The Torah teachers of the scribes, they were the ones who copied and taught the Scriptures, along with the Pharisees who, like the scribes, were legal experts. They understood the law all too well, and they got together 
And their purpose was to try and trick Yeshua into saying something wrong so they would have a charge against them. Right? What's going on right here, this is the goal. To just charge him. They had just brought in a woman caught in the very act of adultery, and they made her stand in the middle of the crowd, probably facing Yeshua. I wasn't there, but I can bet they had a semicircle around her. He was here, and she was right there in front of him, face to face. I'm sure she's thinking, my life is officially over. She knows the law. There's no New Testament written. She's very familiar with what it says in Deuteronomy. She's going to be stoned to death. She was caught in the very act by the religious leaders, the legal experts. She's done. Life is over. Verse 4. Then they said to him, the Pharisees and the legal experts and the scribes, quote, Rabbi, this woman was caught in the very... It's not a rumor. She was caught in the very act of having sex with someone other than her husband. Obviously, the accusation of adultery against her was doubtlessly true as she was caught in the very act of committing this heinous sin. For the person to be put to death there had to be at least two witnesses. You know when the New Testament says where two or three are gathered in my name, that has nothing to do with prayer. It's used inappropriately and improperly and out of context every single time. You don't need two or three to pray. has nothing to do with prayer. has to do with that if you're going to accuse somebody, you need two or three witnesses. Isn't that sad that people have used that? Uh, that's not important. Don't, don't even let me divert. Thanks. I wonder, as these religious men were watching, I wonder what they were thinking. What do you think? These are religious men watching prehistoric pornography. Do you think these men were able to watch and not have any lustful thoughts at all? Come on, guy, wake up. Didn't Yeshua say, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery? But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in her heart. I guarantee you there's not a guy in here who hasn't committed adultery in his heart. I guarantee you there's a couple of guys that did it today. <laughs> Sir, is that you? That committed the adultery? Are you amening that that's you? Oh, okay. Okay, just, okay, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'll give you the mic next week. Also, you know, I know, I know the attraction to my attitude is this transparency, but I just don't even know how else to be, guys. I really don't. I'm not trying to impress you. I'm not trying to impress anybody. I never did. I never will. 
I don't know how to be anything but honest. I don't know how you live your life not being honest with people, with your wife, with friends, with God. How do you, how do you, how do you do that and not want to smack the crap out of yourself? How do you live with yourself? How can you say something to somebody and walk away knowing that's not what you really wanted to say and you're okay with that? I'm not talking about being mean-spirited. I'm talking about being honest. Honest with who you are. Honest with who you're not. And when somebody asks you a question, I don't have to contemplate an answer. If, if you ever get an email from me, I'm not editing it. The minute I get an email, I write back. There's going to be probably a lot of grammatical mistakes, but it's going to be my response. Boom. I don't want to go back and edit it. That's the problem with emails. You get to edit it and edit it till it's not your real response. You write a letter and change this and change. Well, this might offend. The, it's like a sermon today. Well, this will offend the, the women and this will offend the Hispanic and this will offend and this will offend. So you doctor it up and doctor it up and doctor it up till it makes God vomit. Not only were they probably lusting their little hearts out, but where was the guy? That always gets women like, yeah, where was the guy? <laughs> you hear that? That was such a female response. <laughs> they love to take shots at us like, you know, the women that, the, the guys that are committing adultery, it can't be with a woman who's married, right? That never happens. They actually went, these keepers of the law, and altered the law just to trick Yeshua. They altered the law. How do we know this? Well, look at Deuteronomy 22.22, and this is how we know. It says, if a man is found sleeping with a woman who has a husband, both of them must die. Now, either he was married and she was committing the adultery. She was married. And if he wasn't married, he was still committing adultery. The man who went to bed with the woman and the woman too. In this way, you'll expel such wickedness from Israel. So both the man and woman found in the act of adultery must be put to death. So why didn't... They bring the man to be accused as well because it was a total setup. Do you know how disgusting that is? Do you know how disgusting it is to trick somebody? Do you know, I once had a group here, a group of people, Christians, you know, wonderful, come to my house with a tape recorder. They didn't think the Holy Spirit was going to tell me. And they got into this intense conversation with me for three hours, recording me the whole time. It was a miracle. A miracle that I knew. And then when I called the guy the next day and I said, did you have a tape recorder with you? It was dead silence. Dave, you remember this, right? And I said, did you have a tape recorder? 
And he said, it's not against the law. I said, brother, I'm not talking about man's law. I'm talking about decency. I said, you came in and gave my wife a Judas kiss. And I said, listen, if, if, if you tell me you feel bad about it, I'll totally forgive you and forget it. We'll move on. Every time I'm willing to forgive. Every single time. He said, I, I'm not upset about it. I said, well, then only one thing can happen at this point. You're gone. Him and his little crew left. And I came up to the pulpit. I said, you're not going to see them here. This is what happened. I just told the truth. I don't care. I'm not going to hide it. You know? A setup. It's this brothers in the Lord wanting to hurt another brother. I, I was so naive when I came to the faith. I thought Christians were these Christ followers. I thought they were like Jesus. Unbelievable. Let's look at how the trick is exposed. John 8, 5. It says, now in our Torah, Moshe commanded, so they're putting it on him. They're like, this isn't our opinion. This is the law. And no one's above the law except for us in altering it. Now in our Torah, Moshe commanded that such a woman be stoned to death. What do you say about it? Do you see where they have them? Can't win. Let me tell you why. They wanted Yeshua to contradict the law of Moses. If he does, if he does, if he gives her a pass, then they could turn the common people against them because the commoners loved them. They reminded the Lord that Moses in the law commanded that a person caught in the act of adultery should be stoned to death. For their own wicked purposes, the Pharisees hoped the Lord would disagree. So they asked him what he had to say about it. Guys, this is unbelievable to yours truly. They had no compunction for the sin, nor any compassion for the sinner. They weren't upset by the sin, and they had no feeling toward the sinner. It is not the woman they want to bring down. They could care less about her, and it's not the law they want to uphold. It's Yeshua they want. So they do whatever they have to do to get him. So what do they do is they use the woman as the bait and their question is the spring to the trap. Verse 6, they said this to trap him so that they might have ground for bringing charges against him. But Yeshua bends down. They had no real charge against them, so they were trying to manufacture one. Make one up. They knew if he let the woman go free, he would be opposing the law of Moses 
and they would accuse him of being unjust, a lawbreaker. If on the other hand, he condemned the woman to death, then they would use this to show that he was an enemy of the Roman government. They were under the auspices of Rome. It was Rome's law, not the law of the temple. And he would be tried for insurrection and killed. They would also say, if he said, yes, fulfill the law, he's unmerciful. They got him. Either way, he is no way out. He's stuck between a rock and a hard place. It's a losing situation no matter what choice he makes. It appears there's no way out. But then again, they're not just dealing with any Tom, Dick, or Harry. They're dealing with the Son of God. So what will he do? The first thing he does is stoops down. And write something on the ground with his finger. Now, there are plenty of people that I know that are convinced they know what he wrote, just like they know when he's coming back, just like they know the name on the side, just like they know how to pronounce God's name. They know so much. I just covet to be in their company. Nobody knows, but we may have somewhat of a clue. I don't know exactly what he wrote, But the scripture tells me what writing in the dust is all about. You follow? I don't know exactly what he wrote, but I think I know why he might have written. Just throwing this out there. Look at one verse. I don't want to belabor it because people love mysteries, right? Go watch Perry Stone. Jeremiah 17, 13. Hope of Israel. Adonai. All who abandon you will be ashamed. Those who leave you will be inscribed in the dust. Being inscribed in the dust is the opposite of being inscribed in the book of life. The antithesis. Dust in the wind. All they are is dust in the wind. Maybe he wrote their names. He could not have written their sins. He would have needed a lot more dust. What he wrote is in no way, shape, or form more important than what he said. Look at the next verse, 8-7 of the Gospel of John. When they kept questioning him, he's writing. He's writing. He's not answering them at all. He's paying no attention to them. And they're pushing him and pushing him like, come on already. We want to catch you. He straightens up. And said to them, quote, the one of you who is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. The religious leaders are totally dissatisfied, so they keep pressing him for an answer. So Yeshua simply said that the penalty of the law should be carried out. Right? He did not say it shouldn't be carried out. Correct? Don't miss this. You'll miss the whole story. But it should be done by those who have committed no sin. By the way, um, I got a pail of rocks in there. At any time while I'm preaching, you want to cup them and grab one and toss it at somebody. Go for it. Just know after you do that, 
I'm going to have you walk on the pond, and if you sink, I'm going to shoot you as soon as you come up. <laughs> twice. I'm going to shoot you twice. And I have exceptional aim. Thus, the Lord upheld the law of Moses. He didn't give her a pass. He didn't pardon her. He said, yes, you were right about the law of Moses. Have at it. He did not say that the woman should be free from the penalty of the law. What he did was flippin' ingenious. What he did was unbelievable. Nobody could have pulled off what he did. Even he is not above the law. What he did do was to accuse every one of them of having sinned themselves. A person doesn't go to hell for specific sins. A person goes to hell because of self-righteousness and thinking they don't need Yeshua to bridge the gap. Pride sends a person to hell. Not a specific sin. Because if it's sin that sends a perfect to hell, then you're all going to hell because you're all going to sin today. And the bulk of you are not going to repent. Rabbi, I always repent of my sins. Bull crap. You don't have the time. The message is simple. Those who wish to judge others should be pure themselves. By the same token, it doesn't excuse a sinful lifestyle. Don't think for a minute. Remember, grace and truth. This week, I'm going to go over the grace part of his message. Next week, I'm going to go over the truth and tidy things up. It doesn't mean, oh, then I could, nobody could judge me for the sins I do. Not, it doesn't mean that. It means you're not the judge. You're not even the jury. You're not even a defense attorney. You're not even an advocate. All the heck you are is a witness. So why don't you start witnessing? If the body of Christ witnessed as much as they judged, there'd be a lot less people going to hell. You speak when you should be silent, and you're silent when you should speak. What Yeshua did was to condemn those who are guilty, but have never been caught. You get stopped by a cop for speeding, you get mad. You've sped a thousand times, you got one ticket. You should be clicking your heels. The next verse, John 8, 8. Then he bent down and wrote in the dust again. They must have been so frustrated. You know, can you imagine? Once again, Yeshua stoops down and writes in the dust. I told you what the dust was. It's the opposite of being inscribed. These are the only two incidences in the whole entire New Testament where Yeshua writes anything. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? The Savior, the Son of God, the Messiah, 
the king of Israel writes twice and we have no idea what he wrote? What does that tell you? You don't know so much. Listen to me. I know it hurts you feelings sometimes because you're impressed with what you know. You know next to nothing. But it's okay. A.W. Tozer was a, you know, a, a crazy, serious, legit man of God. You should read some of his works. Anyway, this is what he said. Never forget that it is a privilege to wonder, to stand in delighted silence before the supreme mystery and whisper, Oh Lord, you know. What do you know? You study a little eschatology, what do you know? Where, where were you when he laid the foundations of the world? You want to sit down with the Lord like Job had to? Do you know how he hung the stars? Do you know how he called Pleiades and Orion? When, when, when you call the lightning, does it bow before you and say, here we are? Isn't it enough to be overwhelmed in his presence? Don't you realize the more you know, the more underwhelming sometimes God becomes? It's okay. I don't mind standing in God's presence and saying, I don't know. I've said it a million times. I don't know. But my eyes are on you. I don't know. You know, when you first start in ministry, you're so insecure. It's like the first time you start in martial arts and you do that first dopey kata and you get that idiot yellow belt. You still couldn't fight your way out of a plastic bag. But you think you could take on Bruce Lee? But you got this false sense of confidence and you're totally insecure. And so a lot of people in ministry feel like they have to have answers. I have no problem saying, I don't know. As we stated earlier, being inscribed in the dust is the opposite of being inscribed in the book of life. Maybe the first time he wrote their name saying, you're not inscribed. You're not going to make it. Your name's going to blow away with the dust. You're going to be forever forgotten. You're not going to heaven. Maybe this time he wrote the word in Hebrew, na'af. You know na'af is? Adultery. Maybe he's getting ready to forgive her. But can he forgive her? She broke the law. Can he just overlook it? I thought nobody's above the law. How did he do that? He's not allowed to break the law, and he's not allowed to let anybody else break the law. Oh boy, some smoke is coming off your brains right now. You're like, I, I, I don't know, I just thought he forgave her. Yes and no, hang in, we're almost done. I don't know what he wrote the first time, and I don't know what he wrote this time. But what I do know is that we all need to make sure that our sins are written in the dust and our names are written in the book of life. That much I know. John 8, 9. On hearing this, they began to leave. One by one. The older ones first. Uh, Lord, why did you put that in there? Who Does it matter? Of course it matters, but if it would have said this, look, on hearing this, they began to leave one by one until he was left alone. 
That would have been fine, right? Let's take out the all the ones left. Those four words we don't need, right? Does it tell anything? So tell me, what does it say? What does it mean? You said we need it. Why, Why did they leave first? More sin. More sense. More wisdom. They've been around longer. Young people don't know nothing. They prove it every time they open their mouth. Those who accused the woman were convicted by their own consciences. You see, sometimes you're convicted here and you get mad as opposed to repenting. They had nothing else to say. They began to walk away one by one. They were all guilty from the oldest to the youngest. I believe the oldest left first as they were the wisest and the most guiltiest. Whatever the case, the message is clear. It was penned by Chaucer in 1385. Don't throw stones when you live in a glass house. Next verse. Standing up, Yeshua said to her, Where are they? Has no one condemned you? You guys, don't read the scripture like a fundamentalist, like a little weirdo theologian. Put yourself there. You're this woman who knows she's doing the wrong thing. She's married. She has a family because there was no contraceptive. So when you got married and you were Jewish, you had sex. You didn't have sex prior. And when you had sex, you got pregnant. That was the whole idea to procreate. Remember back in Genesis 2? Procreate, bring in more kids, raise them up in the ways of the Lord. More people honoring and glorifying God. And she's involved with somebody. This might have been the first time or the tenth time. I don't know. But she's caught red-handed. They grab her. I don't even know if they gave her a chance to totally dress herself. And they maybe put her in a gunny sack and bring her out and toss her in front of Yeshua. She's thinking life is over. They're all ready to stone her. First of all, it's going to be incredibly painful to be stoned to death. The pain is crazy. And she's crying. And mucus is coming down her nose. And she can't see. And all of a sudden, he says, where are they? And she thinks she's seeing something. I I don't know. Where are they? Can you imagine? you imagine what she's thinking? She's thinking the same thing you should be thinking every time God forgives you. In a wonderful display of grace. Again, there's a truth side to this equation. Don't get nervous, some of you truth seekers. Don't. I'm not a grace abuser, never will be. But I will bring 100% grace into every message and into my life. Yeshua pointed out to the woman that all her accusers disappeared. There was not a single person in the crowd that dared to condemn her. They are all alone now. Imagine the whole crowd's dispersed. All the scribes, the Pharisees, all gone. And all that's left is lawbreaker 
and lawgiver face to face. Can you feel the intensity of the moment for her? Then he asks this question. Has no one condemned you? Last verse. She said, no one, sir. She doesn't know him as Lord and Savior. He hasn't even died yet. I don't even know how much public knowledge it was. No one, sir. She's blown away. She doesn't know what to say. What what does this mean? I, I don't understand. What's going on here? It's like a conspiracy of grace. And the only one who really had the right to condemn her says, I don't either. Now go and sin no more. Don't sin anymore. Change your lifestyle. Change it. And we'll talk about that next week. You have some of the verses already sent out. When the woman says, no one, sir, Yeshua utters priceless words. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The only one who is truly qualified to condemn her doesn't. He neither condemned her nor pardoned her. How could that be? He doesn't condemn her. And you would think, well, he gave her a pass. You can't. Sin doesn't get a pass. There's a price attached to it. It has to be paid, otherwise he's unjust. If he's unjust, he's not God. How is he going to be loving and just at the same time? When does mercy and justice kiss each other? See, it wasn't his function at this time to pardon. But he did issue a warning to her that she should stop sinning. In the first chapter of the Gospel of John, we learn that grace and truth came through Messiah Yeshua. Here is another example of just that. But how could he override the law? Again, it's a question I have to ask. No one is above the law. Sin cannot be excused or brushed under the rug. It's not possible in God's economy. He didn't override the law. He credited her account just like he did with Abraham. Do you understand? Would she believe in him one day? I won't follow the rest of the story. I can't follow the rest of the story. It's not written. But I'm thinking that once it was public knowledge of who he was and who he is and that he died and she knew he rose on the third day, Buddy, that was going to be her Lord and Savior. And because righteousness, His righteousness is so infinite, no matter how much unrighteousness you have, it's finite. And when you have a debit finite balance, and you have a credit infinite balance, you're in the black every day of the week. But you must repent. If you're living a sinful lifestyle, repent. 
Don't ask me, Rabbi, what happens if I'm living a sinful lifestyle and I die? You know what happens. Don't ask me a question that you already have the answer to. By the same token, stop throwing stones and start casting crowns. Now let me tell you what I think happened. I think she's trembling. I think she thinks her life is over. I think her kids are going to hate her. I think the townspeople are going to talk about her. I think her husband's going to say nothing good about her. She deserved to die. But all of a sudden, in the midst of all this pain and anguish and anxiety that she's going through, her face softens a bit. And she's thinking, how could this be? I don't know what to do. Should I stay and talk to him some more? Should I ask him a question? Should I thank him? If I leave, are they going to still come after me? Am I safe? Are they going to knock on my door tomorrow? What should I do? These questions and probably a lot of other questions race through her mind. I don't believe there are a lot of tears as she leaves. But if you let me fast forward, I think there will be. I think there will be. I think she'll cry every time she looks at her children asleep in their beds. I think when she waves goodbye to her husband as he goes off to work, the tears will come. I think when she's kneading bread on Shabbat in the quiet of the kitchen, tears will come. A marriage she never would have had. A family she never would have had. A life she never would have had. Were it not for such a wonderful Savior. A Savior who stood up for her when the others wanted to stone her. A Savior who stooped down to pick her up and send her on her way forgiven. only one thing I have to say right before you stand up and I bless you drop your stone drop your stone stop making believe you walk on water there's only one Lord there's only one Savior and his name is Yeshua let's stand together You got some verses to study. I didn't send out too many because there's no need to belabor it. But there's verses to study. I'll give you a little hint. I was a a very crazy person. I mean, my kids think I'm crazy now. They have no idea. You have no idea. Not mean, but you have no idea how reckless and things I did. As crazy as crazy can be. 
And I partied. That was my whole life. And I ran around, and you know what happens when you're running around. And when I was at my wedding, and I know Bernadette's watching, I had 12 ushers, you know, stout guys, my buds. And each one came up to me during the wedding, and this is what they said. How are you going to do this? That's all they said. I knew what they were asking. They were like, how are you going to stay with Bernadette for the rest of your life? And my answer was, I don't know. I wasn't really totally hopeful, although I was very tenacious. And that was 34 years ago. And haven't had any slip-ups. And how did that happen? By the power and grace of Yeshua. That's how it happened. No other way, shape, or form. By the same token, everybody in here commit spiritual adultery. They just don't realize it. Because it's insidious. It's absolutely, positively insidious. And that's what we're going to work on. Rabbi, why do you push the issue so hard? Because one, I just don't like anybody getting prideful. Your ego is not your amigo. It's dangerous. So I don't like any pride. It just disgusts me. It repels me. And pride comes before the fall of Holy Spirit before destruction. Pride is a total turn-off to God. He's turned off. He's turned off. You're not going to attract them that way. Why else I like to keep us low? Because the lower we get, the higher God gets. And I'm all about raising up His glory to the nth degree. As high as he can go, that's as high as I want to bring him. Because the bigger God gets, the smaller we get, and the more worship he receives, and that's all good. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Prince of all peace, Yeshua. I love you guys. Shabbat shalom. Turned off by religion and hypocrisy. Hate being preached to. Something missing in your life. You haven't been getting the whole truth, the whole Bible, and the Hebraic roots of the scriptures. Get answers and treasures now on Solace Radio.